Hey, Star Wars, let's go. Who's excited? Well, hey, my name is Caleb, and uh, I get to kick off today as we talk about Star Wars. We are really excited. We're doing this at the movie series. I'm one of the pastors here. want to welcome all of you. If it's your first time, we're so glad you're here. So last week, we looked at The Greatest Showman. Uh, today, we're talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Next week, we're going to look at Wonder Woman, and my Wonder Woman, Chrissy, is going to be sharing... Uh, teaching the word as we talk about Wonder Woman. Then the week after is Black Panther. And the final week is Lego Batman. So we'd love for you guys to come back. Bring someone with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're having a good time in this series. But as you saw, we had a little intro to the message. Um, a lot of times I give you guys the background of what the message is going to be about. We're looking at the story of King Hezekiah. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, I'm going to be reading from chapter 21, uh, or sorry, chapter 20, but this gave you the background. I hope you guys were following along. Uh, that's called a Star Wars creep, I guess is what they call it. And so that's what was happening there, giving you the background of this story. Uh, but I'm really excited because what we're doing in this series is we're focusing on a different one of our blueprints every week. So if you don't know, our blueprints are our core values as a church. So this is what our church is all about. This is what drives what we do, um, why we do what we do. All the decisions we make are driven by our core values of, as a church. And so today, I want to talk to you about the core value, which is generations, generations, which is our goal. And I've actually never taught on this one of our core value, um, that we value the next generation. We value youth and children. And I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon really focused on the next generation. I know a lot of you in here, you're like, man, I, Caleb, I'm single, man. I, I'm not even thinking about kids. I don't know if I'll ever have kids. Um, some of you are married. Some of you have kids in this place. But I believe this is for all of us today. I believe this word is crucial for us because what I think has, half, has happened is we are often like King Hezekiah and we're too focused on our own race. The race we're running. And the Bible tells us to run the race and run it faithfully and run it with endurance so we can finish. But that doesn't mean we ignore those who are coming after us and those who are just beginning to start their race. So how many have ever uh, ran a marathon or a 5K or a half marathon or a Tough mutter, something like that? You've ever like ran one of these? All right, a lot of you in this place. We've got a lot of runners I'm not a runner, personally. Um, in fact, I, I don't see any good reason to run unless I'm playing a sport like uh, basketball. Um, but some of you love running. And, and you just, you, you get into that. Well, a few years back, I was a youth pastor, and we decided we are going to do a fundraiser. And I'm not a runner, but they were like, okay, hey, let's do a fundraiser. And I came with this idea to call it Faster Than the Pastor. It was a 5K and I, I laid out the gauntlet. I was like, all right, y'all can challenge me. If you can be, you can be faster than the pastor, you're going to win like a prize or something. And, uh, and, but we're going to raise money. It was a fundraiser. And so my preparation for the 5K was the day before the 5K, I went to the course and ran the 5K the day before, which if any of you are runners, you know that's a bad idea. So I came in the day of the race already sore. And I had not prepared, I had not run, I was not in shape. 
And the gun went off, and there were there wasn't a ton of runners. I want to say like 50 to 75 runners from our church that that decided to come. The gun went off, and there were these four or five guys uh, and one girl who were runners, and they just bolted. I mean, out the gate they were gone, and I'm like, well, I guess I got to stay with them. So I took off, and I'm running after them, and I'm with them for the first mile. And I want to say the first mile was around a six-minute or less pace, and I'm hanging, though. I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm not going to back down. I said, I challenged them to be faster than the pastor. So I get to mile one, and then we hit a hill. If you ever ran, you know when you hit hills, it changes the dynamic. And so we hit the first hill, and a 5K is only three miles, but we hit the first hill, and they keep going, and I begin to run in slow motion. You know, it was one of those, I don't know what happened, my body changed. I wasn't ready for that kind of pace. And so they left me in the dust, and, uh, and we finished the race. And my wife still to this day, like last, she has it on video, me coming into the finish line. Because I, it looked like, I don't think anyone's ever finished a 5K in so much pain in their life. And she just laughs every time she watches it as I cross the finish line, like fall down. And uh, she's, like, she's like, honey, you're not a runner. You're not a runner. Um, but how many know there's a difference between that or a marathon or half marathon and then a tough mutter? So if you've ever done a tough mutter, you know you, that you do this in a group. You do this with one person or two people or there's groups of 10 people. There's groups of 30 people. And what happens in the run is there's obstacles that you have to get over. So you're running up walls, um, climbing up ropes, you know, jumping in mud pits. And what you do is you work as a team to finish the race. And you leave no one behind. So there's like these giant walls, and you always have the one like super tall guy that can run up it. And then he's hanging off of it, like grabbing the rest of the people and pulling them up. But it's about a team, isn't it? You finish it as a team. There's a difference between a marathon, which is an individual thing, and then a mutter, which is about a group thing. And so what we need to be as a church, we need to be thinking, I think you know where I'm going with this, is that we will be, come on, the next generation, they're getting down down there. Is that we will be those that run mutters together. That we would see the church and say, we're not in a marathon all by ourselves. Like these five dudes they, and the one girl, they tried to leave me in the dust. They didn't care. They didn't want to help me finish. They were hoping I would pass out. They were trying to win. But in this race, this is a mutter, man. We got to do it together. We got to help each other over the obstacles. When someone falls down, somebody's there to pick them up. When someone can't get to the top of the wall, there's someone hanging down with a hand down ready to give them a hand up. That's what we do. That's what the church does. But we have to do that not just with each other that are here in this room, but we have to be thinking about the generation that's coming behind us. We have to be thinking about the next generation that's coming behind us in our lives. You see, many of us are caught up in finishing our own race faithfully, and I think that's good. We need to finish our race faithfully. But I also believe God is calling us to help the next generation know how to start theirs. So the main thing I want you to hear today is this. We aren't only here to finish our race, but to lead the next generation to start theirs as well. 
We're not just here like, oh, God, I was faithful. I finished my race. No. Did we help others behind us and alongside of us, those coming behind us, the next generation, to start their race as well? I believe an essential part of following and faithfully following Jesus is passing it on to those that are coming behind us, the next generation. So let's read 2 Kings. I'm going to read chapter 20, verse 16 through 19. So you guys saw the background of Hezekiah, this king of Israel. He had ushered in a lot of spiritual change, a lot of spiritual transformation for the nation. And yet the prophet comes to him, Isaiah, and tells him about a coming destruction that is about to befall him and his nation. But after he's gone, and this is his response. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Everybody say, ouch. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. What? Did you see that? Isaiah just told him, they're going to destroy much of your nation. They're going to take your own sons captive, turn them into eunuchs. And his response is, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, we actually have insight into his thinking. Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? Everybody say my days. See, I think a lot of us are caught up. What's happening in my life, my situation, my days. And we're not thinking about what's going to come, what's going to happen. We're not thinking about the next generation. We're not thinking about all that they're facing right now in this culture. We're not thinking about are we setting them up for the best future possible. We're too caught up in my days, my life. But God is calling us not just to finish our race well, but to help the next generation to start theirs. To start theirs. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're going to speak to us today. I pray that you would give me the clarity to share what you want me to share. And God, may we understand and grasp the depth and the gravity of the call we have for the next generation. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to give you some ways to lead the, ne the next generation to run their, waste, their race well. Some ways to lead the next generation to run their race well. And I know, again, some of you in here, you're like, I don't know, this, does this apply to me? Yes. Applies to all of us. Because whether we have children or will have children or will be single our whole lives, we still have a call to the next generation. We still have a responsibility to the next generation. And I have never preached this. I don't know if I've ever heard it preached in all my years in church. But I felt like God gave me a word for our church today. I believe he's going to challenge us to think a little differently about the next gener generation and our role for the next generation. So number one, we have to avoid short-sightedness. Whether that's temporary or long-term. Because you know you can have short-sightedness in the temporary, but then you can also have short-sightedness in the long term. 
So my son, Kenny, he started playing basketball this year, and uh, he's in kindergarten. And so if you ever see the kindergarten basketball, it, it's pretty painful. They don't follow the rules. The refs don't enforce the rules. And so they pretty much are just running around the court with the ball, double dribbling when they feel like it, you know, running down halfway down the court, and then they'll shoot and score, and all the parents are like, yeah, Johnny's so good. I'm like, no, Johnny just traveled. And so when, when, when Kanan started playing basketball, I told him, you're not allowed to double dribble, and you're not allowed to travel. If you pick up the ball, you got to pass it. He's like, Dad, but everyone else does it. Dad, how can I be as good as them if, if I'm not doing what they're doing? He, he fought me on it. I was like, look, I don't care about what everyone else is doing. I care about what you're doing. You are not allowed to double dribble. If you pick it up, you pass it. You dribble with one hand at a time. And so we practice that and we work that. So in the case, actually his coach this week told me, Caleb, why have you disciplined him so much? He won't cheat. <laughs> he won't double dribble. He won't travel. And all these other kids, they're like, they'll dribble down and they'll do like two-handed spin move around a kid. Dribble, spin move, shoot, score. And all, everyone's like, woo. I'm like, nah, that, ain't, that doesn't work. And so... His coach is like, why did you teach him, like, so disciplined? I'm like, because I'm not thinking about right now. I don't care if he's an all-star in kindergarten. I care about if he's an all-star when they actually enforce the rules in fifth grade and sixth grade and junior high and high school. And I don't know if he's going to be a basketball all-star. But I'll tell you this. It's about are we being short-sighted or are we seeing the big picture? You get it, right? It's the same way spiritually. A lot of us are like King Hezekiah. And we get caught up in the my days mindset. Like, well, it's all good right now. My life's good. I'm good. As long as it's good in my days, I don't care what comes after me. We have to avoid this kind of short-sightedness. Because this world and this culture, the enemy wants to destroy the next generation. Because he knows if he, can, he didn't get us, but if he can get them, then he can destroy what God wants to do in the future. And so we have a responsibility that we would avoid the short-sightedness that so often can plague us. In my, my kids' life, right, like timey, time is different for kids. You know that, right? If you have kids, like I told my kids yesterday, you need 30 minutes of quiet time in your room. They're like, 30 minutes, Dad, that's all day. I'm like, no, that, that's 30 minutes. It's all day, Dad. Like that's how they respond. The other day they're like, Dad, when are we going to, going to Disneyland again? I'm like, oh, we're actually going in like three weeks. They're like, three weeks? Oh, my gosh. That's like next year. I'm like, no, it, it's in three weeks. Timing is different for kids, isn't it? But I think a lot of times we get caught up in that. Like our, our concept of time, all we can think about is right now. About, am I good? And we're not thinking about are we investing in anyone else around us? Are we investing in the next generation? Are we taking time for them? I mean, as, as adults, like, yeah, we take time, me and my wife, to go to the gym. We take time, me and my wife, to grow spiritually. So we read the Bible. We pray together. But are we doing the same thing for our kids? Because we might be saying, oh, well, I'm good. My days are good. There's peace in my days. But what about their days? What about the generation that's to come? We have to invest in that. Avoid the short-sightedness that so often comes. So let's watch some Star Wars. Y'all ready? 
All right, so Star Wars, if you've seen this movie, this is a great example for us of someone that didn't want to raise up the next generation because of failures. Some of you in this place, you come from a legacy of brokenness. Your legacy is not positive. The family you came from does not have a good legacy. And so maybe you've not wanted to engage in even having the opportunity to, to possibly damage the next generation. Because you think that legacy is the same for you. I'm here to declare today in this place that I believe God is going to start some new legacies in Project Church today and in the weeks and the years to come. I believe new legacies are being built in this house every single week. And so I want to declare that. But I think that our failure or our past can often hold us back from the future that God has for us. And so let's watch this first Star Wars clip today about the next generation. Man. Star Wars came to preach today. I mean, I think that the, this is what the next generation is saying to us. They're saying, I need someone to show me the way. I need someone to teach me. I'm wrestling with all this stuff, which you get because you wrestle with this stuff, with the, the sin and the flesh and, 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 and this, these two natures that are battling. Even as Christians, we understand that these two natures are constantly in battle. Our spirit, man, and our sin man, our flesh man, they're battling. And so we have a responsibility that we would teach the next generation what it looks like to follow after Jesus Christ. That we would be far-seeing in our vision. Number two today is cultivate far-seeing vision. So we got to avoid short-sightedness. And if we're going to avoid short-sightedness, that means we got to do something. We got to cultivate a vision. And it's got to be far seen. Now, you understand this word cultivate, this means you're working, you're tilling, you're toiling. It doesn't just come naturally. This vision is something we got to work at. We got to put energy into. We got to cultivate in our lives. We have to cultivate that far seen vision for the next generation. King Hezekiah, listen, he loved God. He really did. The Bible tells us he did some amazing things. Here's what he did he reformed the spiritual life of Israel. He cleansed the temple. He restored temple worship. He reinstated Passover. He reorganized the priesthood. He did all these amazing things. And yet he wasn't concerned with what came after him. He said, as long as there's peace in my days, as long as it's good in my days, I'm fine with whatever comes next. We cannot have this mindset. We have to cultivate far-seeing vision. And as a church, I believe God is calling us to recommit to that. Isaiah predicts this coming Babylonian captivity. And what is Hezekiah's response? He says, there's peace, security in my days. So it's all good. It's okay. What Are we cultivating the far-seeing vision? Listen, when we started this church, I'll just tell you straight up. We started this church, we, we put this as one of our blueprints. That we are children and youth-minded. That generations is our goal. But I don't believe we walked that blueprint out up until recently. Even when we moved to the crest, I'll tell you straight up. The move to the crest was not thinking about the next generation. Because we literally stick them in a basement. We were thinking about the now. 
But we're currently, and we're in the process, conversation with a new building here in Midtown. And we're thinking, we're already looking at giving up some adult space so that our kids' space is the best space, I believe, in all of downtown Midtown Sacramento. Why? Because we want to put our money where our mouth is. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to be about it. We don't want to just say generations are our goal. We, don't, we want to walk out the generations as our goal. Why? Because I believe God is making a shift. And we have a lot of young adults in here. That's great. But I've done a lot of weddings in the last five years. Okay? Last year, we had 14 different couples in our church get married. Chrissy and I did 11 weddings last year. And now, y'all are procreating. So that's not the only reason. The reason is because God is beginning to stir us and said, look, is this something that I put in your heart? Then you got to walk it out. And so we're already thinking that way moving forward. We're trying to put more emphasis on the next generation. We've launched Project Youth that meets twice a month on Sunday mornings during our 930 service. We've got a group of teenagers now meeting. We want to cultivate far-seeing vision for our church. Far-seeing vision for the next generation. And we all have a part to play in that. Let's watch this next clip. Number three, are we investing in the next generation? Are we investing in them? Are we leading them by investing in them, by passing along what we know, what we have, what we've learned, what we've gleaned, the things that God has implanted in us? I'm here, and I'm a result of a legacy that started with my grandfather, I'm a third-generation pastor. And I'll tell you, my grandfather's story started with his mother and father loving Jesus and loving the church. And they would take him and his brothers and sisters to church. And then his father died when he was 12 years old. His father dies when he's 12 years old. And his mother marries his Sunday school teacher who had been divorced. And the church immediately excommunicates them. Because in this day, if someone was divorced, they weren't allowed to be remarried in the church. And yet they still followed Jesus, got plugged in somewhere else where they were allowed to, and followed Jesus. And my grandfather began a legacy where then his children have followed that. And now I've followed that as his grandchildren. And I believe we're raising up now his great-grandchildren, they're going to follow Jesus. I don't know if they'll be pastors, but I know that we're passing on something to the next generation. We're investing in the next generation. And so what I want to say to you is that we would have that heart, that mindset. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then just a few verses later, he tells Timothy as part of his guarding, he says, entrust to faithful men what has been entrusted to you. He's teaching him, he's saying, listen, pass on to others what has been passed on to you by me. This is what Paul is teaching Timothy, his young follower. We have to have this mindset that we have a responsibility to pass on what God has given us. Now, I'm going to get on a little soapbox for a second and talk to the parents. So I'm a parent. I have three kids, and I grew up with parents who took me to church. And I get it because I've had parents that come to me and they say, you know, Little Johnny, we, we just want him to be able to make his own decisions. We want him to decide for himself if he's, if he's going to follow God or not. So we're letting him choose 
if he wants to attend church with us or not. I'm like, cool. Okay. Do you do that with any other part of Johnny's life? Do you let Johnny decide if he's going go to gonna go to school on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings? No. You drag his booty out of bed, out of bed and say, you're going to school. Do you let little Johnny decide what kind of food he's going to eat? Oh, Johnny, sure, you can have candy all day, every day. Go right ahead. No, you wouldn't do that. Do you let Johnny decide he's going to go to practice or not, to the things he's engaged in? No. You say, we go to practice. We've signed up for this. We're a part of this. Why is it any different with the church? And I know some of you are like, I'm uncomfortable by this, Caleb. I don't know. Don't know how I feel. Let me tell you, they don't know what is best for them. And so my kids, until they're 18 years old, adults, they will be drugged to church by me. My six-year-old the other Sunday is like, Caleb, he, didn't, he doesn't call me Caleb. He said, Dad, actually occasionally he does because he thinks he's funny. Dad, I don't want to go to church. I go, that's nice. Get your butt in the car. It was that easy. One conversation. He got here. Once he got here, he was good. He had a good time. Let me tell you, you got to lead the next generation. That means you got to invest in them. And that means sometimes you make them do things they don't want to do. My kids don't want to go to school. I make them go. My kids don't want to eat healthy food. I make them eat their greens. My kids don't always want to go to church. I bring them anyways. The church needs to be a priority in our lives. Let your children see that you love the house of God. Because then they will love the house of God. The problem is we let everything else take precedence, I believe, even over the, over the church. And then we wonder why the next generation doesn't love God or love the church the way we love the church. It's because it hasn't been modeled for them. It's our fault as parents that church, that God is not a priority in our life. Because everything we've done and told them by our actions says that everything else is a priority in their life. I mean, most likely Johnny ain't going pro. So bring him to church on a Sunday morning, okay? Most likely, I'm just, I'm just keeping it 100 with y'all, okay? Invest in the next generation. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Paul's talking to Timothy, and he tells him this because he's letting him know, look, you may be young, but you can still set an example. I remember I turned 31 years old when we started this church. Five years ago. You guys can do the math. Now you know how old I am. 31 years old, started the church. And I remember people who we thought loved us speaking to us condescendingly. Like, you really think you're ready to lead adults? Like, haven't you only been a youth pastor? I'm 31 years old. What did they see? They saw my youth as something that meant I couldn't do I couldn't lead. I couldn't let God use me. And I want to tell you, we don't want to be a church that looks at the next generation that way. Because I don't believe that their time is coming. I believe their time is now. That we need to raise them up and give them opportunity right now. In fact, fashion in a couple weeks, ladies. Be there. Get your tickets. Come on. The, the whole theme that Chrissy's been pushing is every age, every stage. And they're having young people like little girls, Teenage girls are going to be sharing and doing things up here on the stage at this event. Why? Because we believe in the next generation. Their time is now as well. We have to empower them now, invest in them now, care about them now. This last month, Christy and I were at a conference, 
and it was a church planning conference. So we, that's what you call startup churches. We started this church five years ago, so we still are part of that tribe of church planters. And we're at this conference. And uh, before I say this, I want you to know, like, I started out in ministry. My first thing I ever did was I was a junior high pastor. And I had, like, 15 junior high students. But I had five junior high boys that met at my house every week. And I met with each of those five individually every week or every two weeks. So I'm at this conference, and I run into one of my old junior high students. He's now in his mid-20s. He's married. He tells me, Caleb, six months ago, I planted a church. Now, I'm not here to try to take credit for that, but I'm here to say that I believe there is fruit from our investments. This was the kid I spent the most time with. I discipled the most. I went over the word of God with him. I poured into him everything that I had. I spent time encouraging him. I spoke into the call of God on his life. And now here we are 10 years later and I run into him, or more than that, more than 10 years, 15 years later. He's not a junior hire anymore. He's a man and he's leading a church that he started with his wife. You see, there is fruit to the investment. We may not always see it in the moment, but that's the far-seeing vision that I was talking about that we have to cultivate. We have to invest in this next generation. You know, one, one thing I'll, I'll say, I had a pastor come to me about a year ago. He said, Caleb, you need to have more kids. I was like, say what? <laughs> It's like, bro, we got three. That's a lot. How many say three is a lot of kids, all right? Some of you have one. You're like, dang. He's like, you need to have more kids. I was like, what are you talking about, bro? I already have to. He has five. I'm like, I'm good, man. Three, like five's your thing. Three, we're good. He's like, you need to have more kids. I'm like, why? He said, because we need more God-following homes raising more God-following kids. If we're going to impact this next generation, you need to have more children. So I'm here to make an announcement today. No, I'm just playing. We ain't pregnant. <laughs> Y'all were getting excited. Chrissy was not. <laughs> but, man, I thought that was actually a word from the Lord that I feel like this morning I need to share with some of you. You're married. You're going to get married. Make sure it's in marriage. God gave us this call of procreation. And I believe that we're in this culture, it's like, oh, you know, you should have less kids so you can do more for your life. But let me tell you, you can still do everything God has called you to do and have children alongside you. My three kids have walked out this church planning journey with us. Five years of it, they've been with us all along the journey. They're at meetings, they're with us, they're walking with us, they're seeing it done, and we still have time for them, investing in them, focusing on them. I'm here to tell you that they are not a hindrance, they're a blessing. And so some of you have held back. You've been like, I'm not supposed to have, I don't know if I want to have any more kids or I don't know if I want to have kids at all. I want to tell you, I believe there's a call of God on us to have more children, to raise them up in the things of God. Because then they will impact this world with the love of God and they will raise more children that love God. So this is a church of procreation. I am speaking it out in Jesus' name. Y'all never heard this preached in church. I'm telling y'all, have babies. Well. We will dedicate them to the Lord, all right? Have them. But hey, I want to close today. Let's watch this last clip, and then we're going to close. Oh, by the way, disclaimer. A little bit of a, 
this may ruin the ending of Star Wars for you. So if you haven't seen it, close your eyes and plug your ears. All right, let's go. You see, there's a generation coming. And I don't believe that this will be the last generation that the church has the influence that it has in this country. And a lot of people are speaking out like the direction of the church and how it's looking like this may be, we are now a post-Christian nation. A lot of people are speaking out that the church is on the decline and pretty soon will look like Europe, but I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I don't accept that. So the last thing today, last way to lead the next generation to run their race well is to love the word. Everybody say, love. Love the word, the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is writing to the people of Israel. He says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, when we love the word... We pass the word on. And let me tell you, the greatest teacher for this next generation, the greatest empowerer for this next generation is the word of God. If we love the word, I know something, I don't read. Not much of a reader. Guess what? You live in a day of audio Bibles. You have no excuse to not have the word of God in your soul, in your spirit, in your life. So I believe that when we love the Word of God, we will pass on the Word of God. And the Word of God is what will guide this next generation. We have to get in love with this. Passionate about this. That's why every Sunday we get up here and one of our blueprints is the Bible is our guide. And every Sunday we get up here, we open this and we teach from this and we read from this and we dig into this. Why? Because this is the hope of the world. Because this Word tells us of the person of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ is the one that changes everything Jesus is the one that will change the destiny of this next generation that will break what the experts are saying about the direction of the church and the decline of church attendance the Word of God and the person of Jesus so we got to be a people that love the Word because when we love the Word we pass that love on to all those around us on the way here this morning, my, my kids, they grabbed two books. My son Canaan, he's in kindergarten, so he can read now. And he said, Dad, I want to read these books to Canaan and Kai on the, on the ride in. And I was like, cool, man, do it. So he's in the back with the two of them, and he's reading them this book. And I didn't know what book he grabbed, but the book was called What is Easter? And I didn't give it to him. It was probably my grandma. Thank you, grandma. Grandmas are the best. But he's reading this book, and this book actually says, you see Easter, at one part, I'm listening. It says, you see Easter is not about eggs. It's not about the Easter bunny. It's not about candy. 
And it actually said, all those things are fine. All those things are good. But what Easter is about is that Jesus died for our sins but didn't stay dead. He rose again. And he reads this to them. He says, did you hear that, Canaan and Kai? Easter isn't about all the candy. It's not about all the stuff. It's about Jesus dying for us. And I'm riding. I'm getting, I'm getting emotional. I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to have him come preach up here in a minute. But let me tell you, there's something about our opportunity to pass the word of God and the love of God on to the next generation because they're going to pass that on. They're going to carry that with them wherever they go and they're going to impact this world so i want to say to you right now i know some of you are in here you're like caleb i'm single what does this have to do with me what do you want me to do parents in this place invest in your children care about your children care about their spiritual walk bring them to church show them that you love the word show them that you love God show that you love the house of God and they will love the word and they will love the house of God and they will love God but single people in this place you can pray you're like I don't have any kids you can pray pray for the next generation bless these children when you see them run around you hear them scream in the middle of my sermon bless them maybe some of you need to serve in the kids area plug help out with the youth Let's be a church that invests in the next generation that doesn't think, well, I'm good in my day. As long as there's peace in my day, as long as my life is good. No, we can't think that way. We got to think about passing it on. I got a baton right here. We're running a race. Y'all ever done track? You know there's a baton. You can't drop the baton. Team USA, we're always dropping the baton. 2 Timothy 2.2 is actually on this baton. It says... And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, we're running our race, but we gotta help others to run their race well, to start their race as well. The next generation to start, we gotta pass this baton on to that next generation, to lead the next generation. I hope that God is speaking to your heart today that God has challenged your heart today. But I want to close with this. Some of you in this place, your legacy is not a positive one. Maybe you have a negative legacy behind you. Your family, your experience, your legacy is one of destruction, death, pain, hurt, damage. But I want to speak over you right now that God is saying it is time to begin a new legacy. A new legacy in your life. A new legacy for your future. A new legacy for your family. It can start right now, right here. Today's your day. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?